A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County takes senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 91 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We are concluding our 2022 positional previews today with our relief pitcher preview and two more great guests. But first, let's bring in my 80-grade co-host who might sound a little bit different today, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? Well, I appreciate the 80-grade. My voice is about... A 40 grade. <laughs> My voice started going out Friday night. I don't know if I'm laryngitis or something, but I'm not going to talk much because this I sound horrible. Or I feel like I sound horrible, and I'm not a bullpen expert. It's why I sub to these guys' Patreon because they are the bullpen experts, and they do the work for me, and so it, it saves me a ton of time. So I'm going to let them do the talking. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and listen and learn because it's going to be a great episode. The reliever market is insane right now. So we're here to break it all down with some great guests. Like you said, we definitely are. Yeah. The reliever market is always crazy, but it's always fun. It's always fun to talk about relievers too. Uh, We get two great guests today. Our first guest is someone who I've known for a few years now. He's the closer expert for the athletic and one of the gurus behind reliever recon, a tout wars member, father and PE teacher who I'm sure is teaching his students how to throw the high heat so they too be- can become lockdown relievers one day. Greg Jewett is in the tool shed today. Greg, thanks for coming on. How are you? Well, thanks for the kind intro. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm all right. It was, uh, you know, I haven't seen you guys since I was giving you tickets. You can go hustle around all over Arizona to watch <laughs> baseball, but you know, uh, different passions for different folks, but yeah, it's, um, it's all right. And it's funny you said that because one of my students posted uh, a video the other day of, of all of his of his four pitches and I pulled him aside and I said uh do you notice that you have a different release point between this pitch and this pitch and he was like yeah another team was tweeting that out after one of our prospect camps and that's something I got to work on I'm like yeah you got to make sure those things come out of the same release point and guys second time through the lineup they pick up on those things but I'm not teaching my kids high heat but still uh still <laughs> talking to them about those things Although I get more questions year by year uh, once kids figure out what I'm doing as my side gig. 
<laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome, though. Um, uh, our next guest can be found at multiple outlets, including Razball, Fantasy Pros, and, of course, Reliever Recon, a fellow member of Team Black Book, where he wrote up all the relief pitcher profiles for the 2022 Fantasy Baseball Black Book that you can get out on Amazon right now. Aaron Pags joins us as well. Aaron, thanks for coming on. What's going on, man? Eric and Chris, thanks for having me. Of course, I'm here with two brothers of mine across the country. Uh, Eric, my Black Book brother. Chris, my South Carolina brother. And Daddy Greg is here on the show, too. So uh, it's a big family <laughs> reunion, talking relievers. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, we got two South Carolina folks in the house. That, that... that never happens. I'll tell you, there's no fantasy baseball folks down here in South Carolina. So it's good to have one on the show. <laughs> Colby Conway from Fantasy Alarms down there. Good to know. I know Jesse Roche is all also in, in Charleston, so there's a couple, but he's closer to the beach though, I think. Yeah, so yeah, hook up with him. He works for uh one of the beer companies. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the upstate, so I'm like four hours from the beach, but uh, Charleston's a great place. Hey, I'm in Maine. Nobody else even knows Maine exists. So <laughs> I have yet to my come across anybody else that lives in Maine. What's that? <laughs> I said my son played hockey there for like a month. Oh, did he really where at, I was at, bummed. Old Orchard Beach is where he was staying. Oh, nice. That's about eh, 35, 40 minutes down the coast from me, so not too far. Yeah, it's, it's a great hockey area. You know, we get the minor league team here in Portland in, in the ECHL. UMaine, Orono has always been a pretty good hockey school there. They used to be, like, one of the best in the country in, like, late 90s, early 2000s. But, yeah, not many fantasy baseball analysts up here in Maine. Um, but we have a great show today. Before we get into that show, the usual housekeeping, you can find us all on Twitter. Greg is at G... Jewett, J-E-W-E-T-T, the number nine. Aaron is at Fantasy Triage. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed, and the Reliever Recon Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Reliever Recon, R-E-C-O-N, for extra content from all of us. And of course, check out all the other great written and audio we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our 2022 draft kit. And finally, in honor of the Reliever Recon team joining us today, we will be giving away four one-month memberships to their Patreon. To enter, tweet at Fantrax Toolshed with the name of your favorite reliever of all time, and we will randomly select four winners at the end of the week. But let's get into this week's episode. Before we do, I'll give uh, you gentlemen the floor here. Uh, just to let everyone know what uh, they can expect if they sub to Reliever Recon, all the good stuff you guys got going on over there. Oh, you want me to go first, Aaron? Yeah, go ahead, Greg. Because you, <laughs> you you put out you put like ninety five percent of content up so far before the season's even started. Go. Uh, he's he's being too kind, but um, yeah, I've, I've always been a content junkie. Um, so uh, we we put out stuff now at the beginning of the at the beginning of the month. We always do a monthly review of the uh, NFBC draft data. Uh, and I do parcel that out. We do a separate draft champions and a separate uh, online championship. Um, and I keep a spreadsheet with all those that uh, that the members can grab and look at and access. Uh, today just posted the uh, I brought back the old coffee and closers because that was so popular. But um, and I went through the top 25 finishers through five of the NFBC um, formats. And then within that, I showed you what the from number one through 25, what their first five picks were by position and then the closers that they took with what round um, and, and their pick numbers. So um, there's some interesting stuff because I you keep seeing uh, 
you know, there was a big Twitter thread yesterday about our saves binary or however people, there's going to be people that say, I will not pay for saves. There's going to be other people that will, um, it's almost becoming a little bit of a polarizing issue right now. And I think the lockout, I think the lockout really proliferates this. If we were drafting and we knew where free agents were signing, a lot of these arguments will dissipate because some of the ADP will normalize. However, um, I just wanted to kind of establish that. All right. So in, in this format, this was how many teams took a reliever in the top 100 picks and out of this top 25 and so on and so forth. So, um, I have all that parceled out. Uh, it's in a, also, there's a spreadsheet attached. I mean, you can go through and look, I didn't put the, the, the team owners names on there, but I mean, I know we know a lot of them. Um, and, and it just kind of shows uh, all those progressions and, and the other stuff we, we do some player profiles. Um, we have a cool article that'll be coming out tomorrow by Eric Samolsky called fantasy flow chart that kind of gives you an idea. So if I pick this closer, when am I looking to come in and get a second one and then maybe a third one as opposed to, you know, cause, and there's different things. If I, if my first closer is Mark Melanson, I got to get a second closer that gets strikeouts. If my first closer is a guy that could end up in a timeshare, then I either have to get his back up somewhere down the road and things of that nature. So we're just trying to give the pathways to success uh, at probably one of the most scarcest categories in fantasy right now. Yeah, it's a. I was. I put out a tweet earlier today on Sunday about how the ADP has gone up and up and up every month in NFBC uh, DCs to the point where, you know, that second tier, you know, guys like Class A and Diaz, like that tier, they've gone up a full, almost a full two rounds just from, and, and they're above where the top tier was last year. Yeah, like every tier. every year. It was, was that your fault, Greg? Are you the reason why relievers are not going in the second round or? What, no, what do you I'm think? Not, is- I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not the guy making the decisions in the uh, in the manager seats or the analytical departments. Uh, I have nothing to. Yeah, you want to blame this on somebody? Blame it on teams like Tampa Bay and that that have totally devalued yeah. uh, saves as a, you know, as as a thing with with success. You know. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on on that? Just in general, because you, you mentioned how you know you're looking at the the min pick last year and how that correlates to ADP this year and how they've gotten pushed up so high, like the, the top two you know, and, and all ADP uh, I'll be referencing today is NFBC DC ADP from January 1st until now. And you look at right at the top two, the duo of Hendricks and Hader 26.6 and 28. So if you, and I've, I've even seen, um, the min pick on Hend- Hendricks is now 14. Mm-hmm. I saw uh, somebody at the turn, the 15, 16 turn, went Hendricks hater in a draft, and that looks like someone's even beaten that that min pick of 15. So, uh, Greg and Aaron, oh, so I'll go with Aaron first. Yeah, here. Aaron, go. <laughs> we'll get we'll get Aaron mixed in, in, into the mix here. Aaron, what is your thoughts on just how high all these relievers are being pushed up this year? And do you think you know is it too early? Do you think? Uh, I'll start off with a flat no in any draft and holds uh, league here. So any DC or leagues where there's no fab, no free agent bidding throughout the season, no waiver wire, uh, a flat out no. And it's never been. Um, I I think that somehow we get amnesia every year and forget about last year's uh, premium on closers. Last season, uh, folks were drafting Hayter at 56, Hendricks at 57, Chapman at 69, Diaz 72, Iglesias at 81. Uh, those, those five guys all going in rounds four through six last season, they combined for an average of, a, of a 34 saves. So we got that right last year. Um, and also 
players who did well in DCs in the draft champions format last year, they drafted one of those five, 70, 70% of the top 10 teams. So seven out of the top 10 teams drafted one of those top five this year. We, the, the premium just got more premium. That's all. Uh, we just took the five guys, six guys, uh, whoever you want to lump into this and move them up two rounds. So now we're in rounds two through four and that's, you know, we can blame a lot of things. We can blame the Rays. We can blame this. We can blame that. But really, it's the players who play in these competitions, the ones who um, have been playing and understand the value of security in, in saves that are putting this premium on early in drafts. Um, and so we just we're playing by their rules, right? So we have to. If you want to get one of these guys, uh, you don't have the luxury of waiting till the sixth round this year. You 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 can only wait till the fourth. Yeah. And context is very important. I mean, draft champions, you don't get to pick anybody up. There's no fob. There's no, my guy got yanked and now it's going to be the, the next big thing is the closer. So I have to go bid on them. You don't have that option in this format. So of course the price is higher, but um, then as I was saying that when I was going through all that data, I quoted at the beginning uh, in the main events last year, the ADPs were on the upper tiers were actually higher on the, the guys that Aaron was quoting than they were in the draft championships. So, you know, I've, I know we all want it to sort of normalize, but I just don't know that we're there. And and um, I think Errol Cohen said it very well in, in a tweet thread he did about closers is it's it's supply and demand, kids. This is this is capitalism. So there there's very few relievers that give you at least barring an injury that they're going to give you a baseline of 30 saves and people want that. And, and in, in a draft championships, that's almost half. Well, that it's pretty much half of what you need to compete. If you want to get 10 plus points and saves, you got, you got to get 65, you got to get 65 of them in your league. So, all right, I get Hader or Hendricks. All right. I already got 30 in the bank. Now I can wait a little bit and start picking up my second and third options that I want to get later on. If, if that's the way I want to build my team, that there's more than one way to do these things. And obviously people who got Melanson last year did okay. Uh, but, but it wasn't as um, prevalent as you think in the top 25 teams. Yeah. And I think you and Doug mentioned it in your piece at first, which Arizona, I remember Alex fast talking about it at his reliever presentation, which I believe was, at first pitch Florida two years ago, it's hard to, they all blend together at this point, but, but how it's like the teams that have like lockdown closures, like, all right, this guy is the guy that's becoming less and less. Like we used to see that like back when I was getting into baseball, you know, late nineties, there were like all the teams that had the Trevor Hoffman's, the Mariano Rivera's, you know, Papelbon for my Red Sox, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot more, you know, set guys. And now it's more mix and match and, you know, play the matchups and whatnot and ride the hot hand sometimes. And, you know, we, we see less and less teams that have that lockdown guy where I think it's like maybe you can count on what 12 to 15 guys that, you know, going into this year that are the lockdown guy. All the other ones are either, you know, in situations or still free agents to be, you know, signed after the lockout. So, uh, yeah, definitely I, I've put a more of a stock in getting a reliever early. I, I still can't bring myself to dip into to get Hendricks or Hader. I've wanted to. I love Liam Hendricks. I had him on a team last year because I got him you know, at, a, at a good price, but and I love him. I think he's at the highest floor of any reliever this year by a solid margin, but I just can't go into the 20s to get him. I've been going into that second tier, the Diaz, Presley, Iglesias, that range a few times, and then also like Romano, Gallegos later on in the top 100, but I just can't bring myself to go 
into the second round personally. But uh, Chris, what, what are your thoughts here? Well, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Uh, it's it's tough. I mean, I, what we're doing right now is, is draft and holds mostly. And as you mentioned, it's tough to want to pay the price, but you have to. And I'm, I found myself dipping in a little more recently as I've been doing more drafts because if you want saves, you got to pay up. And, and we kind of got screwed a little bit in the Battle of the Pods League that we did where we waited and we had to take Mark Melanson and like pick 100. And that's far from ideal. I, I, I feel like I'd rather pay up and get a top guy around like the second or third round than, than take Melanson at 100. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm diving in a little more and getting a little more aggressive on relievers. But I'm hoping that that fades. You know, when we come like looking at drafts that aren't just draft champions that you actually have fab in, but I'm afraid the prices are here to stay. <laughs> they get so high, it's hard to see them drop, but we'll see. I'm just waiting until next year when like, Hendricks and Hader will be going ahead of like Mike Trout and ADP or something. Like They'll be like Hendricks ADP will be like eleven and Hader will be thirteen or something like that. It's just the the way it goes every year. But uh, speaking of the t- the top two guys, let's go around the board real quick. Uh, Hendricks or Hader, who you got as your top reliever this year, Greg? Oh man, we did our ranks. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> either interchangeable. Uh, you know. The only thing that worries me with the White Sox is there's just so many arms in that bullpen right now. Um, Hader has a very clear path. And last year was the first year he was the one inning guy. Um, of course, then we need the Brewers to win more games uh, just because of his team and how I, I just don't see Hendricks getting both ends of a double header this year in saves. He did that twice last year, which is just amazing. Um, I still will have Hendricks probably a tick ahead of him. But to me, it's a coin flip. I don't, I don't think you go wrong either way. Now, do you think, while well, talking about all the other arms in that White Sox pen, do you think Kimbrell does get traded? I know there's been a lot of rumors and rumblings that he d- does get dealt, and I think the ADP people think he's going to get dealt. Do you see that happening after the lockout? Um, I do, but you know, it's, you can't guarantee it. If Kimbrell was my second closer, I'd be ecstatic. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I'd have a hard time making him my first closer, especially in a drafting hole, because if he doesn't get traded – then I'm, I'm kind of left swinging in the lurch. So you're going to be chasing. What I don't want to do in this draft and hold format is get myself in a situation where I have to, I have to take like eight different dart throws and try and lock down two or three bullpens with my last 15 picks. I don't want to be there. I want to be able to, I want to be able to take what I want when I want, not because I have to. And I think that's something that's important. Someone's saying, I don't want to pay for saves, but then, you're paying a premium on your bench depth when you're just taking dart after dart after dart uh, when you get to those later rounds. I mean, those are important rounds. Um, the 20 to 30 range didn't do very well last year. Um, but, you know, beyond that, there, there is some some glimmers of hope. But um, we'll, we'll just have to see. But, yeah, uh, t- I, I'm drafting Kimball like he's going to be traded. But and And the quotes they had. Uh, before the lockdown was they were doing everything they could to trade them. But of course that hurts your, that hurts your, you know, standing because the team's not going to overpay for something that they know you want to move. Right. Uh, again, supp- again, supply and demand. So um, the White Sox might wait initially and see, because then if a team gets an injury in spring training and then they need a closer, then, then the, the scales tip back to their favor, but we'll see what happens. But I just don't think Kimbrell was happy working in the eighth inning. I think him and guys like Jansen are just, they're junkies on that ninth inning and they need it. I don't, they had a hard time uh, working out of it. 
Yeah, and, and you, you kind of saw his numbers after he got traded to the White Sox last year, how you know, him in the seventh and eighth inning just wasn't, yeah, you can tell it wasn't what he wanted to be doing, um, even though that, that's a great one of the best you know setup guys you can have in the game right now. And his ADP right now, and, and I definitely agree, I would rather have Kimbrell as my number two reliever if I could, uh, but right now he's at the 12th reliever off the board. Uh, ADP is around pick 111. He's right between Gallegos and Mark Belanson, so you probably get to pay up for him as your RP one if you got to get him that um, this year. Uh, Aaron, who do you got here, Hendricks or Hader? Yeah, for me, Hendricks should be the first reliever off the board in, in every roto in every roto league, and it's not. Um, I know there's some talk about being concerned that Hader is going to get traded uh, because he's got, only got one more year of control left, uh, one more year of arbitration. But uh, Edwin Diaz, Ryan Presley, Craig Kimbrell, Aroldis Chapman are all free agents at the end of this year, unrestricted. So. Any one of those guys could get moved to. The real difference is the inning. I think it's the inning. Craig touched on this a little bit here. It's the inning pitched upside uh, and therefore some K upside. The last time Hader got more than uh, four outs in a game was August 31st, 2019. Last season, Hendricks had nine appearances of four outs or more just last season. So add 12 innings pitched and 20 Ks and you get a difference there. Just really quick on Kimbrell. You guys mentioned the fact that he didn't, um, he doesn't really scare me in Chicago at all, but uh, and I do think he's going to get moved because of what you mentioned in the eighth inning last year, 18 and a third innings pitched a 4-4-2 ERA and a 1-1-5 whip. Ninth inning, 36 and a third innings, sub one, 0 0.99 ERA, 0 0.72 whip. Some guys are just cut out for the ninth, and I think Kimbrell's just cut out for the ninth. Yeah, definitely. I remember him when he was in Boston for those few years. He definitely looked like the guy that should be in the ninth. And yeah, you saw like overall with the White Sox, he had a 5.09 ERA in 23 innings. And with the Cubs before the trade in 36 and two thirds, he had a 0 0.49. Obviously, that's kind of understandable, but definitely you saw the difference between the ninth and the eighth for sure, as Aaron just pointed out. Chris, who you got here, Hendricks or Hader? Yeah, it's pretty easily Hendricks for me. I, I do have the slight fear in the back of my mind that Hader does get traded if Milwaukee's not contending. And I feel like Hendricks is pretty safe, and the White Sox are sure to be contending. But, again, those are minor. These are both elite pitchers, but I'll take Hendricks first. Yeah, on um, Hendricks for me as well. Um, yes, yeah, like I said, I think he's got the – I love both, like, and I agree. It's almost, it's almost a coin flip pretty much, but I, I do feel a bit safer here. Um, about Hendricks and just the innings that he mentioned. And yeah, he last year he had it was nine more appearances and about 12 more innings, uh, 12 and a third more innings. Uh, and he had, he had, he had, and he had eight more clean appearances. Yes. Yep. Just, uh, just, I think there's a higher floor. And I, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not worried. I don't think there's a low floor with Hater. Like I think, you know, we're, we're nitpicking at this point. Um, but I do want that safety. If I got, if I was dipping to the second round to get one of these two guys, you know, Hendricks has been my guy for a while. Like he's just a guy that's just rock solid at the high floor, like I mentioned. So uh, I would pick him over, um, over Hater if I had to go into that second round. But like I said, I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon. But we'll see. Maybe that'll change. Uh, a lot of drafts still to be done. So maybe I will dip into that second round here at one point to get one of these two guys. Um, moving on to that second tier. Uh, we got the quartet. Uh, we got Rizel Iglesias going on average. Uh, this is since January 1st. Um, uh, where was he? 53.5. Then you got Emmanuel Classe from the Guardian, 63.8. Edwin Diaz, 68. And Ryan Preston behind him at 69. Greg, do you have a preference here in these guys? Is there one that you've been targeting more than the others? Uh, no, I, I 
but but this is where I sort of put my line in the sand if I'm taking one of the top top six. Um, you know, it, ADP kind of dictates it a little bit, uh, but you know these these are pretty clear um, roles and guys that perform. You know, Presley's save total got depressed a little bit last year because Houston had so many games where they won by five or more runs. Um, so that, you know, I think people sometimes just look at that save number and then make a decision. He still pitched pretty well, but he he had some lingering issues. You know, there was some, even in spring, there was like a couple of days where he didn't throw it all. No one saw him and it was like, where's Presley? Um, but but he was fine during the season. Um, Clase was just a tremendous breakout. Um, people who are getting him in the 30th round last year are, you know, not surprised to see where he's going now, especially as he finished down the stretch. I, I honestly don't have a favorite. I, I, if it came to here, I'd probably take Rizel because he has the longest track record of doing that, at least recently. Um, I know some people get a little upset, and Aaron can speak to this more about having Edwin Diaz. But, um, it, you know, it, to me here, again, it's a coin flip. It's Rizel or Clase. And then if I can't get one of those guys, then I want to try and get Diaz or Presley um, and, and and not get myself into the specu or not. I don't want to call it the speculation range, but once we once we leave this tier, you, you can you can poke holes into their security on the roll a little easier. Now with uh, with Clase, does the the lower strikeout rate you know cause you to steer away from him at all? Because you know look at the other three guys in this tier, they're all like thirty three to thirty seven percent, and then he was down at twenty six percent. Do you think there's more upside in the tank for him to get more strikeouts this year? There is, yeah. Uh, in in sorry, the second guys, half, guys. oh, sorry. In the second half, uh, go ahead, Aaron. You get it. Well, I mean, I'm just there. There is a there is a bit of a of some upside here for Class A for sure. Um, in 2021, he actually had the lowest um, K percentage by any pitcher with a swing strike percentage greater than 16.5. So his 26.5 percent K rate didn't really align with how many swinging swings and misses he was getting. Um, but he really he wasn't throwing a lot of strikes either. He, he was 446th among all pitchers who threw 30 innings last year um, on getting called strikes, only 13.3% of the time. Um, as he moved on, like Greg was saying, as he moved on throughout the year and started to get a little more confidence in his pitching, he actually did start to get more called strikes, did throw the ball in the zone more often. So I think there is another level to his um, K upside, I guess you could call it. But um, I, I, for me, I kind of leave him out of this group. He's just outside this group for me. Uh, I like the safer guys a little bit better. I think that um, the K's actually do matter a little more than we'd like to believe when drafting our first reliever. Yeah, like, I, I love Class A, and you know, look, he's one of the best best pitchers in baseball in general at limiting hard contact. You saw last year only a one point six percent barrel rate, eighty six point four average exit velo. Both were that one 1.6 barrel rate was in the 99th percentile. Uh, that, that cutter is absolutely filthy. He doesn't give up home runs. We're going to give up two home runs all of last year. The cutter, like I said, the 236 average off the cutter, but only a 292 slug. Slider, 110 batting average, 134 slug. So, yeah, I don't think there's some more upside in the tank, but he's one I've been, you know, I'd rather go after Iglesias or, or Diaz um, opposed to Class A just because I want a little more case upside there. Uh, Greg, Greg, were you about to jump in? The only thing I was to say is in the second half, um, he had a ridiculous K to BB rate and he was starting to use the slider more. So that's going to be the key. If we can get that strike, if we can get his strike strikeout percentage into the thirties and above, it's going to be using the slider more. So, 
if he gets ahead earlier and he uses it as a put away pitch, I think he, as you were quoting, he was able to depress barrels and that I think sometimes he just pitched the contact or maybe they were calling him to pitch the contact. I I do think you could see that level tick up that that's why I'm a little more bullish, but it's okay. I I don't want Aaron and I to agree on everything that makes for (laughs) one show. Right. Exactly. And that slider, like you mentioned, uh, 40.5% whiff rate. So yeah, if he gets up over 30%, I might like him more than the other guys because the way he can limit hard contact, uh, the, the ERA last year was 1.29. I think he might be my favorite of this group. If he can get that key rate up near these guys, I think I might like him the most here. Uh, in general, I've been going after Iglesias a lot too. Like I said, the track record there is the strikeouts are there. Got a 37.7% K rate, only a 4.4% walk rate, uh, 257 ERA last year. So, um, and he'll get plenty of saves out, out there with, with the Angels once again. So I definitely love uh, Glacius the most out of this group at the current point in time. But I don't have any issues with any of the four. I'd, I, I'd be fine drafting all four of these guys. But uh, Chris, what are, you, what are your thoughts here on this group? Yeah, it's a decent group. Um, I, I, I found myself getting Diaz the most often. He's typically been the cheapest with that I've seen in drafts. And so you mentioned, I mean, they're all going crazy high. This month, Glacius going 36 Class A at 41, Diaz at 45, and Presley at 49. So that's uh, a little high for my liking, but Diaz is the one that I've seen fall the most. And so I've scooped him up a little bit. I, he's been shaky in the past, but I still think that the strikeouts are there. I think he remains the closer, so he's going to get strikeouts and saves. And his ratios, while up and down, have been solid for the most part. So, yeah, like him, Iglesias is probably the safest, but based on price point, I've been leaning Diaz a little bit. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense here. Uh, the one right behind this group, this will be a good discussion here. We get into Aroldis Chapman. Uh, ADP back in November was 82. Now in February, it's up to 56. So you got to dip into that fourth round and 15 team DCs if you want to get Aroldis Chapman. I'll go over to Aaron first here. Aaron, what are your thoughts on Aroldis Chapman this year? Should they, people be buying or should they be avoiding him? Um, I can tell you that I understand the folks who look at Araldis Chapman's ADP outside of this top six and think he's a closer on, he's the closer on a very, on a team that's going to win a bunch of baseball games. And um, Aaron Boone is going to let him go out there and um, get the ninth inning. He's not going to pitch in any other inning for the Yankees. I see that mentality 100%, but, and I'm going to kick this to Greg right now. um, (laughs) He you have to watch Araldis Chapman um, every every day, like Greg did last season, to kind of get the idea that let's be a year early on not on not drafting him than a year late. And Greg's got some really good information because he followed Chapman very closely last year. Yeah, yeah, I thought I'd be slick because last year in Tout, um, I was in the head head points league, and I, you know. They did change the scoring, so then closers weren't um, skipped over uh, in that format because the year before it, it happened that way. So they they raised saves up to six points per save to make them more viable. Um, so um, I got my guy I owned universally everywhere last year, Freddie Peralta, because I could use him as a relief pitcher in that format. He had relief pitcher eligibility. Um, Freddie Peralta, by the way, was the only player I had on every single one of my teams last year. Um, and that, that worked, worked, that worked out. That worked yeah. out swimmingly, but um, Mr. <laughs> Chapman, uh, we spoke of uh, Ariel Cohen earlier. Uh, there was one weekend uh, I was vying to be 
near the top in the standings. And I lost to Ariel because that was the weekend where Chapman blew two saves in three days. Oh, I remember um, that. <laughs> and that was a, so you get the negative points and the loss. And then all of a sudden it, it befell me in that thing. And then that cost me a first round buy in our playoffs, which was costly. So um, here's the deal. In the first 18 games last year, Roldis Chapman looked like an absolute world beater. He went 11 for 11 in his save chances. He had a 36 to 7 K to BB in 18 innings with a whip of 0.67 and no earned runs in there. He was throwing strikes 69% of the time. Nice, right, Spore? All right, so... <laughs> Uh, after that, his next 14 games, he totally lost his way. They said it was mechanical, however you want to call it. He went two and three, five out of nine saves converted. He had a 13 to 13 K to BB, and this was in a stretch where he had the blown saves that cost me that matchup. His ERA was 12.66, and his whip was a nice, robust 2.72. Now, again, this is a very small sample, and I understand. So the last 29 games of the season, he did. He did convert all of his save chances, but he was very shaky. From the first 18 games on, the rest of the season, he never had a strike percentage thrown above 60%. So he's not throwing strikes, okay? And, and we heard Aaron talk about that with our last reliever. So um, he finished the season. His numbers, when you look at them on the surface, they're okay. But his last 29 games, he had a 48 to 18 K to BB. That doesn't scream elite to me. Okay, and not when I'm paying a a top 60 pick to get him as my closer. Now, uh, one of the guys on staff thinks that Aroldis will turn the corner and he's pitching for a contract and I get it. Um, He hasn't got more than 60 innings since 2015. Okay, so I just there's too many things for me that can go wrong to say that I'm going to pick him at this price point. That's why I, I draw the line before him when I'm saying I'm getting one of those guys as my anchor. And by anchor, I'm saying I'm getting one of those closers that I feel is a more secure 30 save baseline to let me do what I want as the draft progresses. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there. Chapman is is one that I am totally avoiding this year. Like there's two numbers real quick that just stand out to me like a sore thumb. He allowed a 16.2% barrel rate last year and a 15, a 15.6% walk rate. Like you mentioned that, that one stretch where he had as many walks as strikeouts. And the last time I checked, that's not good for a pitcher. Um, I just don't think the ratios are going to be there. I think we've started to see, you know, I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff or anything no, un, no. Un, unusable, but I think we are seeing, you know, this, the beginning of the decline here for Chapman. I mean, he is going to be 33. I guess it's not terribly old, but. Um, yeah, he definitely, he's not quite the same Chapman that he used to be for sure. So I'm definitely avoiding, I'd rather go out, um, and get some of the guys, you know, a little bit later here in the top 100. Like I've been targeting you know, guys like Gallegos a little bit, Will Smith a little bit, Jordan Romano a little bit. So I'm, I'm still in on Kenley, um, back into the top 100 there, uh, depending on where he signs, obviously, but I'd rather go after those guys. Uh, Greg, speaking of Kenley though. Where do you think, you know, if Kenley signs in a good spot, do you think his ADP will jump up and be closer to that tier two? Or do you think he says, you know, stick around where he is in this ADP? Uh, depending on where he goes, you'll, as long as we know he's the closer, um, I think you'll see him leapfrog some of those guys going ahead of him right now. Uh, he'll probably, he'll probably align very closely with Aroldis. That would be my bet. And so we- you- would you rather take him over a Roldis, I'm assuming? 
Um, they both have walk rate concerns, but um, as long as Kenley's in a landing spot where I know he is secure, then I would probably lean towards him. Even though I know, and and you know, it's a running joke at Recon. We we call Aaron Boone just Linear Path Aaron because he's just <laughs> he he likes that clear path. He doesn't like it muddy. He doesn't like a, a long winding road getting into that ninth ninth inning decision. He, he knows it's A to B to C, and and that's a fantasy owner's dream. I just, I, I, I had too many times last year watching a role just, just completely swept through all of his clothes during a save opportunity. And the one that really I remember is when he hung that slider that Pete Alonso hit that I still don't think has landed. So <laughs> that, 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 that's where my, my romanticism with Chapman as my closer and tout uh, expired. I had the same kind of relationship with uh, Craig Kimbrell, the tail end of his Red Sox tenure. It was like every he'd get the save, but it was like bases loaded every single time. It felt like like two walks, a single, you know, bases loaded with one out. And then he struck up the next two guys. But yeah, it wasn't uh, a very great <laughs> situation to watch as a Red Sox fan. So I feel your frustrations there with, with uh, Chapman. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts here? Are you in or out on Chapman and, and just in relation to some of the guys behind him, who are some of your favorites in this range? I don't love a ton personally. It's just, <laughs> it, it, this is what I'm talking about. You just rather get a higher end option that's safer when you look at the relative value and the risk and it's worth paying a couple more rounds up to, to get a guy that you trust and can rely on. So yeah, I think that it's pretty shaky ground with Chapman and Kinley. While I do think he's going to be a closer, I don't I think we've seen his best days are in the past. And so I'm I'm not really relying heavily on him. He like he could sign with a team like the Marlins. Like that would be interesting if he did. Is the closer having easily slot in his closer, but how many saves does he get? He could go back to LA and, and get 35 saves. Like that's a real possibility too. But it's I just, don't say that because Eric will cry. I know. I've I, got some I've got plenty of Blake Trine and so I love I love me some Blake Trine. First off, let me just say that's slider. Blake Trennan's slider is one of the most beautiful pitches in baseball. Like, just go, go, go find it. The only thing that worries me about Trinan is that he'll end up being this year's Gallegos. Everybody was taking Gallegos last year, like he was going to be the closer. And I tried to talk people off of the ledge saying that there's no one on the Cardinals saying he's the closer and they love him in the seventh and eighth inning. They love being able to use him at the highest leverage moment. Um, You know, that's another term that we use a lot on recon is the HLR, the highest leverage reliever. You know, they're coming in whenever the game's on the line. And, and Blake Trinan is that. And Paul Seawald last year was that for Seattle. Um, Seattle didn't care about saves. They wanted Seawald at the moment they needed him the most. So that's why Steckenrider got a bunch of saves down the stretch. It wasn't because Steckenrider was a terrific pitcher. It was he was the last guy remaining because they had used their better pitchers in those highest leverage moments. And they just need him to get three outs. And, and he filled that in affably. But it doesn't mean that Steckenrider is the closer from day one right now with Seattle. Um, and, and, and the only thing I'm trying to say is uh, Fabian Ardaya the, has been on record more than once in his chats on the athletic and the other thing. I asked him the damn question. I said, if they, if they don't bring back Jansen is trying in the closer. And he said, I am not sure if, if Jansen doesn't return, he said, I could see them going full blown committee in the ninth inning and keeping trining and trining in that role of the HLR. So that that's the only reason I'm trying to tell people to worry a little bit about trining. It's not because he's a bad pitcher. It's just because they might pigeon him, pigeonhole him into that. You could pitch the seventh, you could pitch the eighth, or you could pitch the ninth. It just depends on the situation. 
Yeah, no, absolutely agree with that. And I, I, I tweeted out, you know, a few weeks back that I think if he does get 30 plus saves, I know that's kind of a, a solid if at this point, uh, because all the variables, like them, they can bring back Jansen, they can go get somebody else, a uh, big name to come into that ninth, but they could trade yeah. for Kimberl if they don't get Jansen. Exactly. There's, there's so many, so many variables there. Yeah. I do love trying to, like I said, if he gets 30 plus saves, I think he could be just as valuable as a lot of those guys in tier two we were discussing. But then again, he, like you say, he could say in the HLR role, maybe he gets a handful of saves throughout the year because of the situations, but then he's not worth his draft price. Because right now, uh, in February, DC's, where is he? Uh, right around pick 150. And that's been kind of um, the same every month to month. He was 163 in December, 149 in January, now 150 here in February as the 16th reliever off the board, right between Camilo Doval and Scott Barlow. Um, so yeah, definitely wouldn't be worth the draft price. So he needs, to, I think, to justify that well, draft price. Oh, go ahead. At that point, if he gets twenty saves, he's fine. He's priced. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, yeah, twenty saves will be if fine. If you're there. looking for twenty, that's fine. But if you're taking him, thinking you're getting thirty, that's a mistake. You just know when when you're doing these things, just make your expectations realistic. All right, so I'm getting training, so I'm getting I'm getting ratio protection. I'm getting vulture wins, and if I get a bucket of saves from. 18 to 23, then I've done great. Uh, to me, that's reasonable. Don't yeah. don't say I'm taking Trinan as my closer one because he's going to get 30 saves. I think you're just setting yourself up for failure. There, it's right. all about how you're perceiving your build. Yeah, it's, it's kind of similar to what we were saying about Kimbrel. Like if you get him as your RP two, you feel you feel pretty good about mm-hmm. that. But yeah, not really someone you want to rely on as your RP one just because of all the you know the lower floor there because of the save potential there uh, this season. Aaron, what, what are your thoughts on all these guys in this range? You know, the chat, you know, we already talked about Chapman a little bit, but like Jansen and Trinan and Romano and Gallegos. What, what are your thoughts on this back end top 100 tier? Let me just say that I am so thrilled that uh, we are back on the Kenley Jansen is wash thing because I love drafting Kenley Jansen. Um, <laughs> me if you're too, looking me for too, like man. a, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a safety pivot from those top five or six, for me, it's Jansen. 31% K rate, a 1.07 whip. 82 of his last 97 saves converted, 199 Ks in his last 156 innings pitched. I mean, that's pretty good for somebody who's completely washed up, right? And who's definitely going to be the closer no matter where he goes. I can't find a situation where Kenley's going to sign a two-year deal or a three-year deal and not be the closer. He's going to If he gets that third year in Texas, he goes to Texas and he's the closer automatically. Mm-hmm. If he only wants to get you know average annual value of the top whatever many closers and the Dodgers are just going to pay him because they lost – they're not paying Scherzer or Seeger, and those guys have already gone. They got all this money to spend. They can throw some money at Kenley, get him back for two years. Um, Dave Roberts, like Aaron Boone, wants is going to give Kenley Jansen the ninth inning. He has he's done it in the past. So there's no reason to think he won't. So I mean, give me all the Kenley Jansen. For me, he's undervalued. He's one of the few relievers who's actually undervalued at ADP. Uh, where's he at? Like 69, 70, somewhere around there. So a fifth round pick in a draft and hold. Yes, please. I like that he's not. And he changed his pitch mix last year. I mean, at least we saw that there's growth. I I mean, Chapman talked about adding that that splitter he threw, but he threw it, I think, eight percent of the time. It's not like he used it a ton. Uh, So that's another sticking point there. Yeah, I I see Jansen either taking like a big salary to come back to LA, um, or as Aaron said, if he's going somewhere else, it's going to be on a multi-year deal. That just means he wants he wants to get the extra money. So it's it's kind of his choice. I. We'll we'll have to see, but at least he once once him and Kimbrel go wherever they're going, the the rest of the things will start to slot in, and then that that bucket of the 
veteran closers with experience will start sprinkling in and that's that that'll be what 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 finishes off the the last tiers and uh and the drafts that happened in March as long as we have baseball on the horizon. I'm trying to be positive, but <laughs> did, did Kinley go to driveline before last season or was it before 2020? No, I think it, I, I don't think it was before 2020. Okay. So yeah, but, I mean, but his the team had been up. asking him to use more pitches instead of his cutter all the time. And yeah. that last year was the first year he actually bought into it. So yeah, his, his velo was up last year actually from 2020, which in 2020 was weird, but he was still up from 2019 as well. But this is why you listen to the reliever recon people and not me about relievers. So good info. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, like that's why we do this and right. we have the discussions because you learn things and like my opinion can be changed on Kinley. And that's exactly what happened because you got useful information like that. So that's good stuff. For sure. Yeah. And the, the one, obviously the one red flag with Kenley is that the walk rate has risen in four mm-hmm. straight seasons. Like he was down in 2017 at 2.7%, then 59 6.1%, 8.8%, and then a career high 12.9% last year. But at the same time, he's had a barrel rate under 5% each of the last two years. He's still right around that 30% K rate. He had the best, his first ERA under three since 2017. So um, yeah, I, I think Kenley's a, a good value this year and I just want to see where he goes. And yeah, I think once him and uh, him, he signs and, Kimball gets traded, then yeah, that'll start to settle a lot of these uh, uncertainties we have in the reliever market right now. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, though. We'll come back on the other side and get into a lot more closure talks. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more Fantrax Toolshed right after this. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. We got the reliever recon duo here, Greg and Aaron talking relievers, of course. Well, so we talk with these guys, catchers. Now we're talking relievers. Uh, let's go right to the next guy on the list here. We'll start going a little quicker here with our analysis. Uh, Mark Belanson is you know out in Arizona right now. Uh, Aaron, do you think that Mark Belanson is going to be the guy uh, in Arizona? And do you think he's a good value right outside the top 180p? Uh, let's start with the second question first. No. Um, first question, <laughs> first question, second, um, Melanson signed in Arizona to be the closer and nothing else. So he's definitely going to be the closer, but what can we expect from him and how can he fit into your fantasy plans? Um, last year, Melanson was RP six, according to the Rasball player Raider in five by five. And now he's currently being drafted as the RP 12 in NFBC draft formats. Uh, well, so draft and holds, right? Like one forty overall, one thirty nine, something like that. Um, what does he need to be to actually help your fantasy team? He needs to be better than Mark Melanson if he's being drafted <laughs> as your RP1. And um, we talked about this on uh, one of our shows with uh, Nate Markham over on uh, our Reliever Recon podcast on our Patreon. And uh, last season, uh, RP16 had this line, 59 and two-thirds innings pitched, 58 strikeouts, a 272 ERA, and a 0.91 whip with 31 
saves. 31 saves is really high. That's I think that's asking a lot from Arizona team that I think only had 22 saves or something like that last year. Um, so you're talking a, geez, that's a 30% increase in the amount of saves that they're going to have this season. Um, if that happens, he would have been Jake McGee from last year. So Jake McGee had those numbers last year. Uh, I think that's that's the ceiling, I think, for Melanson. And that puts him well outside the top 12 relievers. So uh, not a good value. Uh, Chris talked about this. You don't need to be um, using pick 100 on Mark Melanson. There are <laughs> better, if not the same options, um, probably 100 picks later. Yeah, you, you look at Melanson's K rate, and I know this isn't everything, obviously, but his K rate on Savant, the highest you see is 24.1. That was back in 2016. It was 22.3 last year. And yeah, he had all the saves. He had 39 saves and a 2.23 ERA. And he's actually been below three uh, for his ERA each of the last two years. But yeah, I, I didn't like when Chris and I had to take Melanson, it was almost because, yeah, we had to. And ever, ever, all the relievers was going so quickly. We didn't, I don't think I, one of us were like, yeah, well, yeah, let's go get Mark Melanson. There wasn't like any excitement with that, with that pick. Um, and yeah, that Arizona situation last year, right? Remember, uh, who was the, uh, was it Kevin Ginkle? I remember it was like the guy, like at one point, everyone's like, oh, yeah, Kevin Ginkle, a late round, you know, pick 300, whatever. And yeah, that bullpen was just a, and what's he, who was he, the guy that was kind of the man there for? They thought it was going to be Joe Kimseria, but he started the year hurt. Yeah. And then there was um, a mid, mid season, like someone was like, thought it was, it was a big fab bid for somebody in Arizona mid season. I forget the name though. Um, it they wasn't your saw, guy, Greg, right? Hopefully, it wasn't hopefully not Crichton. Oh, Crichton, yeah. I remember oh, Crichton Lord. was like the hot name for a, you know, a minute there. But, no. yeah, that bullpen was just absolutely disastrous, as disastrous can be last year. Uh, Greg, are, are you in agreement there? Are you, are you not touching Melanson this year? I'm not going to say I won't touch him. I mean, you, you all know desperate times call for desperate measures or whatever. I mean, if <laughs> if, if I need – if if – all this, if all the closer runs went by, but I mean, odds are, I mean, I'm in a different situation than other people. So, you know, people see the name and they remember him. And, and I've said it on a different podcast, you know, he's, he's, he's ground balls and guile. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he finds a way to, to hold on. He had a terrible Sierra and indicators XERA last year was over four. I mean, we know pending regressions coming. We just don't know exactly when he's been able to overcome it. The only thing going in his favor is he does have Brent Strom out there, which I, I think will help that pitching staff. Um, but I don't think it'll be enough to make, get him enough strikeouts to, to get him into, into the tier where he's being drafted. I, I just, you know, taking Melanson right now is like when you, when you, when you used to take uh, those one trick ponies for stolen bases, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's it. He's, you're taking him for saves and then you're just hoping for the best in the ratios. Yeah. Chris, what, what are your thoughts here on Melanson? Oh, obviously I mentioned, I don't want him on eight teams. <laughs> if I don't have to. I looked back at that draft board. He was a uh, RP 15 that we took and it was just the closer runs kept going by. And like I said, you don't want to do it, but the options after is like, and who knows if we had waited another round, like who else would have gone? At least he, at least you know his role. I mean, that's right. You know, he's going to Arizona to be the closer. Sure. But I mean, it's a bad look for him though, because he left your team, Chris, saying he wanted to go play for a contender. Yeah. And then he watched the team he left win the world championships. So, yep. you know, and now he goes to this team because it was purely a money grab. He went to Arizona because he knows he'll be the closer sure. and he got a two year contract. I mean, yep. that's it. There's, there's, 
So, so a year later he changed his mind and said, I'm in it for the money. So whatever. Good luck. Yep. <laughs> that's that's not in Arizona. That's not the first time that's happened either. Like in the one year he was here in Boston, 2012, he had a six, two, zero ERA and a one, two, seven whip and his usual low strikeout rate. Then the next year, what did we do? We won the world series after he went back, uh, went to Pittsburgh. So, um, you're yeah, saying well, I should be buying shares in the Padres. Yeah. Whatever team Melanson leaves, you know, put some money on that team to win the world series. The following that, year. That's another team that matches up well with the white Sox in the trade for Kimbrell. Yeah, I can see that. And Kim Kimbrell has been there before. Um, was that four five, six years ago? Kimbrell was there. So yeah, I can see that happening. Um, and yeah, like when we took Melanson, like you just mentioned, it was it was kind of like the last one that I think we both thought was secure in the role because you look at some of the names a little bit further down ADP, and yeah, there's some better pitchers in general, but more question marks if they will be the closer or not. Um, and especially these next two we'll get into here: uh, Camilo Doval uh, out in San Fran and Corey Kniebel in uh, new supposed closer in Philly. But for what it's worth. You know, roster resource does have him as the co-closer uh, along with Jose Alvarado and for out in San Fran, they do have Doval listed as a closer with Rod Tyler Rogers and Jake McGee setting up, but McGee was pretty damn solid last year. I know Doval came on late, but uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on Kniebel and Doval here? Do you think they are safe in their roles and are you targeting either one of their ADP this year? Okay, so Greg mentioned earlier, it's not really fun when we agree, right? Like we we and we don't agree. We have got a room full of guys who all we do is look at relief pitching. And I think this is a a spot, I think probably on both of these guys. I'm actually not sure where Greg is on Corey Kniebel right now, but let's start with um with DeBall. He has faced 109 hitters in his career. The first 50 batters he faced, 20 reached base, nine scored, four hit a home run, he got option to the minors came back and he was much better the last 59 batters he faced in the regular season only 11 reached base none scored struck out 24 of them and got three saves but he's the 14th reliever off the board and he has a closer on his team that's returning about 31 saves last year I, I mean there's there's a huge amount of risk here um drafting Duvall where where people are drafting him and I think um some have anointed him the guy in san francisco um and uh we we forget about gabe kapler gabe Kaplering again um he he gave the job to jake mcgee last year mcgee was freaking lights out he was he was unbelievable um let me just give you some quick jake mcgee stuff he had a 1.93 era over his last 48 games from may 7th on 40 k's and a 186 batting average against converting 24 of his last 28 save chances. I mean, the guy was a really good closer. And to think that um, the young buck who really wanted the ball in the playoffs is just going to go and run away with the job and Jake McGee is going to be no, a non-factor here, I think is dismissing Jake McGee way too easily. And I know Greg might disagree just slightly. Um, I don't disagree with the premise. Uh, I, I don't know what Kapler is going to do. If Kapler would come out and say, hey, the ball's my guy, then we all go, oh, okay, well, then, then we're justified. This is a bonafide stud closer. Now, I, I think Duvall's a stud closer in the making. Don't get me wrong. I think he's very good. I love his moxie. Um, you know, I remember uh, Craig Mish was, we were messaging back and forth when he made his debut in Miami and Mish was like, dude, that guy's electric. You know, it's, you know, the stuff just jumps off the screen. Uh, 
And so we don't know. Now, I, if you listen to the Roster Resource uh, podcast, uh, the, the guy who runs it was on with Rob Silver and the guys over at Launch Angle. Um, so, you know, they're they're basing the stuff on the way it ended last season, but that doesn't mean it's it's rock set in stone, um, you know, and, and the Phillies haven't had a game with Knebel on staff, so they're not just going – I guess they're not going to anoint him the closer, though when you read the quotes, it said the team said they'll add another leverage reliever, but they don't know that they're going to add somebody else to come in and compete with him for the ninth inning. Um, I, what I like about Knable is he, he turned down a two-year contract with the Phillies. He said, give me the one year. I'm going to show everybody what I'm about this year. And then I'll go back into the market. So I'm like, that's pretty cool. So I'm pulling for the yeah. guy. I mean, everyone forgets he was a part of the equation with the Brewers before Hader emerged uh, as their closer. Um, you know, and he got sidelined with another, uh, a muscle injury last year, which kept him out. But, you know, his numbers were very, very good. Um, so the, the one twelve team draft I did, that was in with Eric. I, I took Knable as my second closer. Um, Kimball got taken that round ahead of me by, uh, by George Montanez, but, um, you know, I took Knable as my, I wanted a solid second closer. So then I could take chances later on and I didn't want to get into the law firm of the Barlows and that range of things. <laughs> so I, I'd rather take a shot. And if Knable doesn't end up being the closer, I mean, it's not huge draft capital there. It's. I can move on and, and replace him with who it is, but uh, I'm willing to enter the season with him as my my closer two with upside because I know there's strikeouts in that arsenal, and, and I know he's talented. I just need to know that he's healthy, which is what I don't know. Yeah, yeah. and Greg, sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to jump here, Eric. But um, no, go ahead. In, in, you know, I, I honestly am swung complete 180 on Knievel. 500s, 400s, 300s, draft area, yes. 100% before he signed. Yes. Get me all in on this guy. 128 now, 15th reliever off the board, only thrown more than 55 innings pitched once in his career. And he's thrown only 39 innings over the last two seasons combined. Um, I mean, how many innings can we expect him to pitch this year? I think he maxes out like around 50 innings. Greg said strikeout upside for sure. So that gives you 70, 70 Ks, 50 innings, 20 saves, 20 two saves, yep. no, saves I, I'm, I'm yeah. taking him for 50 innings and 22 saves with strikeouts that's 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 my expectation um i'd rather yeah i'd rather have his 50 innings than joe barlow later and some of those other yes. guys i just i i i can't see barlow holding that job in texas he yeah. could and he'll he can prove me wrong but i just don't see it yeah, I, I, I've, I'm okay with Kniebel where he's going. Like, like both you mentioned, if he gets, you know, 50 innings, 20 saves, solid strikeouts. Yeah, you know, I think he is the guy uh, there in Philly. Like Alvarado, I think is better suited for like the seventh, eighth inning, and he's he wasn't quite as good last year. The ERA over four, although he's been much better in the past, obviously. But yeah, I do think Kniebel is the guy there. Philly should be a pretty, yeah, at least a 500 team, maybe 85, 88 wins. We'll see. The NL East is always kind of all clustered together there, so. Uh, we'll see, but I think Philly should be pretty damn good this year. Um, so I think he, should, he could, if he gets 50 innings, 20 saves is definitely reasonable. Duvall, I love Duvall. Like, you know, the slider is very good, uh, above average horizontal and vertical movement on it. I think I agree with Greg that he's going to be, you know, this could, there could be a time like two, three years from now where we're like talking about Duvall is in that tier two going ADP 60 or whatever like that. But right now, this year, I just don't see it. And I'd rather go out and get Jake McGee, who's ADP. 
No, I prefer Doval, but at ADP, McGee is going at 288 right now, which is insane. I think he still gets 10 to 15 saves, which would be awesome. You know, on near pick 300. And when we were talking with George Montanez, who is another good reliever mind and a San Francisco Giants fan, and he had no faith that Duvall was like the, the guy. So yeah, he, Duvall is definitely one I'm kind of like I like in general, but it's not at that ADP. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a zero chance that I draft of all anywhere. Just not doing it. There's no reason to. I think that the saves are probably split up. We've seen Kapler in the past be a guy that uses a, a committee. And so I'm not very confident. And we, we saw McGee get the bulk of the saves last year. So it's I think it's just a small sample overhype. Everybody got hyped on what they saw at the end of the last season, the postseason. So count me out. Yeah, it's recency bias at its finest. Everyone looks at the, you know, who was hot to end the last year, and Duvall definitely was hot to end last year. So he gets the, uh, the ADP bump there. You say, remember, this time last year, James Karinczak was going inside the top 100. He was, yes. that With, with, with a minor league career, and I, I'm as much to blame as anybody. I, I, I did not – I overlooked his high walk rates all the way through the minors, which yeah. Duvall did, does have similar issues with. Yeah, well, yeah, I was also in on Karinczak last year, unfortunately. I had a, a, several shares of him, and yeah, I, I kind of overlooked the walk rate, like you said, because I was like, oh, look at that strike rate. It's so damn sexy. Yeah, you're it's just like- watching TV, calling him Special K, going, man, unfortunately, <laughs> um, he's he's someone. Now, now this year in a save-and-hold league, he could be a monster as long as he's showing good command in spring. I mean, you want to talk about a, a save plus hole guy that's just that could be lights out for you. That I know that's at the end of the show, but you know I, I'd be happy to have Karinchak in that format um, because if he does figure out the substance thing and the grips, then you know we know that we know he has talent. And then him ahead of Clase, that's a that's a hell of a potential bullpen. Yeah, absolutely is here. Uh, let's keep moving on here. Go ADP. 201 to 300 here. Still a lot of interesting names here. Like we'll look at, uh, we got Dil- Lucas Sims going in this range. Um, and some guys we even talk about in the, like the 150s, 175 range, like Scott Barlow, Gregory Soto, David Bednar, who, who I kind of like this year in Pittsburgh, Taylor Rogers in Minnesota. And then 200 ish range. You got Lucas Sims in Cincinnati, Dylan Floro, Joe Barlow down in Texas, Lou Trevino in Oakland, Andrew Kittredge has kind of been sneaking up there in, in ADP. He was th- uh, outside the top 300 back in November. Now he's going right around pick 250. And then a couple guys that are falling here um, that were both around 230. Now they're both outside top 275 in February DCs. Matt Barnes of the Red Sox and Ken Giles of the Mariners here. Uh, Greg, I'll go to you first. Is there anybody in this range, you know, the 200, 250 range or so that you really like or any of these names that you're definitely avoiding? No, uh, we, I know we glossed over to one part and I want to keep people on here forever, but um, if I didn't take Knable in that, in that range, I probably would have gone Taylor Rogers and, and with the thought I can use him at the beginning of the year. And then if, and when the, the twins trade him, then I can replace him with, with free agency. Um, in, in a draft and hold, it's a little tougher. So I think that's why his prices really fluctuate. Um, past 200, um, there's, there's, all right, past, yeah, past 200. I don't know. I, I'm trying to stay out of this range. In this range, I'm trying to get at bats and innings. I, I'm, the guys in here don't really excite me. I, I'll wait till the 300s and take 
the guys we're going to mention later, all of these veteran relievers that are drifting in ADP because they don't have a job because they're in free agency, that if I hit on two of them and they they go to the right situation, then I've got a third closer that has closed. Um, you know, everyone in here is just throwing their 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 darts everywhere and, and they're missed. No, I did a I did a player profile on Lucas Sims, who I, I love his stuff, and I think the strikeout upside exists in him if he can stay healthy. But he got shut down with an elbow issue, which I you know we can't ignore. Um, and, and I went through the scenario in the player profile. I was like, okay, so if if we gave the the one closer on the Reds the most saves by every month, the total was twenty three, adding them up, and that's with Heath Henry getting seven in one month. Which what? So, anyways. <laughs> So, so even if I take Sims, that means if he stays healthy all year and he's their top closing option, but the Reds will not use one person. If he's their top closing option, if he's the alpha closer, um, 23 saves would be like the max number you're going to get, which, which is okay at this price point, but there's no guarantee he'll even get that. You know, he can end up with 18, he can end up with 15, he could end up with five. We don't know. Uh, you know, remember last year when Amir Garris said he was the closer and people bought it, and then <laughs> he, he wasn't the closer. And the Reds told you at the beginning of the season, they said, we don't have a closer. And we should have believed them because Iglesias, they told Iglesias this, and he said, trade my ass out of here. And they did. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, as much as I like Sims, I probably won't have him unless, again, I'm, I'm forced to take an upside play. But I, I'd rather just wait until later. Yeah, I heard a lot of ifs there with Lucas Sims. Uh, um, I, I, I do like Lucas Sims a lot. He's one of my f- favorite targets later on in this range. But yeah, at this point, and I think Greg will probably agree, that ideally you have two closures already. But if, once you get to the 200 to mm-hmm. 250 range, you probably you have one of the top guys and then one of the you know guys we talked about in the 150 to 180 ADP range. So you can avoid. And that's That's why I'm letting this area drift. Yeah, personally. And, and, you know, everyone's like, well, don't pay for saves. Well, okay, so take a bunch of guys in here and see how it works out. Again, here's my thing with Sims, though, last year. He was terrific when he came back from the injury, and they were still letting Givens and Lorenzen get the saves. I mean, he was the best reliever they had. He had the best K to BB, the best ERA, the best whip, but they kept throwing out those guys. It's like, so I don't, so, I, don't so think this, I don't think this area is completely barren, though, Greg. I think we just – I mentioned Jake McGee, of course. He's hanging oh, yeah, here in no, the team. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't um, want to talk about McGee because we already did, but yeah. Sure, sure. But I, I, there is there is one guy. I mean, tell me what you need, and I, I can probably help you out a little better, right? So context matters a lot with um, relief pitching and, and roster formation in general construction. Right, so um, so, I, so I, I took an anchor, saves, and now I need a second reliever with upside. And now you need in, a second reliever with, with upside, just in saves, right? So uh, how about – Lou Trevino and like any ace fan will, will remember the last, I did say Okay. Well, he basically <laughs> caught, he cost the A's the playoffs last year. Right. But they'll forget about the rest of the season. Well, they use, they overuse them. Sure. And that's how every fan is, right. You feel that way about Chapman. Eric feels that way about, uh, you know, his oh, no, closers. No, I said and, Oakland. And I feel that way about Diaz. Okay. No, I, uh, I was well, I'm saying the A's fans in general. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we, yeah. But who's, Who's really going to compete with Trevino on the roster today? AJ Puck can't stay healthy. Dolis Guerra. I mean, guys never closed before. Who I know the A's are well known for going and get those like six-year minor league free agents. They come in, all of a sudden, this is like the hot fab, you know, pickup because he's the guy pitching the eighth inning for the A's. Deekman's gone. Uh, Andrew Chapman's gone. Um, all these guys in the A's bullpen are gone. Trevino remains. I mean, you could 
you could make the case that he is a somewhat safe closer in the 200s uh, ADP range today in a draft and hold scenario where you're just looking for pure saves. Counterpoint, the last thing from the A's said that in any trade that they're going to do, they're going to be looking for major league ready relievers. Yeah. yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I, sure. I totally, I totally agree. Could Trevino walk out of, uh, out of the 2022 season with 20 saves? It's possible. Um, I, I, yeah, but it is what it is. So this is a messy area. Of course, this is like a terrible oh, absolutely. area. Draft, yeah. You, you, you're sure. picking your poison here. Yeah. No, this is an area I, I too try to avoid as much as possible. One guy I, kind of like and not even that much but dylan floro you know, the k rate isn't really there but i think he's a solid option down there in miami uh you're at 15 saves last year 281 era 122 whip only a 23 percent strike gut rate though but uh, he's another guy that limits hard contact well low bail rate low uh, exit v load hard hit rate allowed so i kind of like dylan floro but again um hopefully if i get him maybe he's my third believer and not my second believer because if he's your rp2 that's uh not quite where I want to be um, for my teams here. Chris, uh, what, what are your thoughts on this range? Floro, Floro didn't end the season as the Marlins closer, did he? No, he didn't. I, I don't have any faith in him, honestly. I don't know. They're, this they, range. They, they got Bender there as well. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, it's probably a committee there. This range doesn't do much for me. I I don't know. I mean, Joe Barlow's semi-intriguing, but I don't trust him at all. I, the way Texas is spent, they could easily go out and get a closer. This whole range from 200 to 300 is kind of <laughs> for closer. So every, the more we're talking, it's like, all right, I got to pay up and get the early guys. Like, I got to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> every time I see these Twitter threads arguing about, well, I'm not paying for saves, it's like, okay, but but who are you taking? I mean, right. you can you can talk in, you know, hypotheses about what you're going to do, but it, in a draft and hold, you don't have a lot of options here. Yeah. I mean, and you're, I, you're tying up. So you're, you're going to pass up taking Alex Cobb because you're going to take Dylan Floro. I don't know. Right. Not yeah, for they, me, not with my build. That's not what I want to do. I, I'm going to take exactly. Alex Cobb here. I'm going to take a guy who can get me at bats or back up second, third base. I mean, no, no, thanks. Yeah. And that, that's why you got to get your two closes early. Like I said, even though I, I like a couple of these guys a little bit in this range, there's not, not really any guys that I'm really excited about getting. Um, one last name though, I want to get both of your opinions on from my Red Sox, you know, Matt Barnes for me, I thought it was odd that Alex Cora kind of hinted that Barnes is going to be the guy to start the season with how Barnes ended last year. Like he was lights out first half of the year. And then he was a completely different guy. Second half of the year while Garrett Whitlock was our best reliever, I think by a solid margin, for the entire year. And I thought Whitlock might've gotten you know a chance to start the season as a closer, but it looks like Matt Barnes uh, might be that guy. What are your thoughts on uh, Aaron? I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on the Red Sox, just bullpen situation in general and Matt Barnes specifically? I mean, Matt Barnes was so bad error. You watched that. I mean, oh yeah. It, it was off, left off the player, ro- uh, the playoff rosters and things like that. I mean, th- there's a reason rough. for that. That's a yeah. rough ending. Yeah. Th- th- that's there, a rough ending to the season. When you watch, when I was watching the games and they'd be like, oh, Barnes warming up. I'm like, oh crap, here we go again. Like it, it was, it was such a night and day. He was lights out first half of the year. He was throwing more first pitch strikes. It was um, the curveball was electric as it always is. And then all of a sudden I was like, what happened to this guy? Uh, sticky. Yeah, I mean, what, Sure. That could be it. Yeah. Could be it. Yeah. It was right around that time. 
Um, Whitlock, I mean, that's the real question mark here, right, in Boston. What do they think of the Rule 5 guy? Like, do they think that he is going to be the closer uh, from, for the next five years, or are they ready to stretch him out and put him in the rotation, who, who, which is already shorthanded? Uh, I think if you're asking me if I'm going to draft Whitlock or Barnes in drafts, I'm probably going to draft Whitlock because I have two chances of him hitting, right? He could hit as a starter and give me 135 to 155 innings of you know, really good rates, decent rates, stuff like that, or get him being the closer at some point in the season, I could sneak 15 saves out of him. So uh, I'm probably going to avoid Barnes at ADP and I could be interested. You could talk me into Whitlock at ADP. Yeah. Greg. Barnes ADP has dropped consistently. It was uh, in November, 229, December, 236, January, 250, February, 275. So yeah, he's definitely been falling a bit here in drafts. Uh, Greg, are you in on Barnes, or what, what are your thoughts on this Boston bullpen? Uh, my first question is, wh- where did you see Cora talking about Barnes being in the ninth inning? He, he didn't like come I, out and s- I read stuff. Uh, you don't even understand how much crap I read every day from wherever I can get it. Like, I subscribe to your Boston paper just so I can read your beat writers. I subscribe to St. Louis. I subscribe. There's, like, five different things where I don't like the beat writers maybe from – you know, where I work and, and from MLB.com. So I subscribe to papers just to get their info. Um, I, I know, I know he said that he will have him back in leverage, but the way I read Cora's quote was putting him back into his like eighth inning role. Gotcha. Now, I remember it was, it was a back, it was back in like November. It was early on in the off season. I'd okay. have to go dig it. I, I, I can't remember exactly what it no, was. I, I know the coach. I, I just remember hearing he, it. So. He's what, what he was saying is we're going to have him back in those leverage situations and saying, I want him back in the eighth inning where I used to use him as a matchup guy. Uh, I don't think he was indicating it was because it, because if he said anything indicating he was being a ninth inning, Barnes's ADP would be right at Barlow or ahead of him. Honestly. So, so, so do you think Whitlock's a guy? No, I, same thing. Everything I've read from the Boston writers indicates that Whitlock could, he could start the year as like a, a swing guy being a, you know, 1.2 to two inning reliever and then build up to, to take over a spot in the rotation. Um, Cause it almost seems like they're, they signed uh, what was it? Rich Hill and um, the guy from the Rays. Waka. Waka. Yeah. Um, they signed those guys kind of as stop gaps at the beginning of the year to let Whitlock get stretched out because they they know they don't they know Whitlock can't put out probably 150 innings this year. They they can't yeah. stretch him out that far. Um so I think they want Whitlock in rotation. He's got four very good pitches that generate swing and strikes. Um so for me, um the Boston, the the closer right now is probably not on the roster. So you you gotta see who they sign once this. Once this lockout ends, it's going to be an absolute. It's going to be chaos for every everyone's everyone in this chat right now. We're we're going to be looking like the cat meme, just hitting on the thing because it's <laughs> right. going to be this guy signed here, this guy's going there. This trade was agreed upon that was never consummated. It, everything I read from uh, Rosenthal and all those guys said that it's going to be an absolute frenetic week, and the players know it too because they they want to know where they're going. They want to get their rooms booked. They they want to know what's happening. So guys are going right. to be agreeing. So um, who Boston signs once this lockout ends is pretty much going to tell us who's got the ninth inning. I've heard a couple of different names, but we don't really know. Yeah, no, it's going to be an absolute frenzy. And I, I'm looking forward to it because what's been, when did the lockout start about two, a little over two months ago. Today's, now? today's day 74. Uh, 74. The and closers. 
there you go. Yeah, so I'm ready for a frenzy because that frenzy before everything got shut down was fun. Like, oh, I yeah. Remember- no, I, I, I'm all for the chaos. I'm just saying <laughs> we're all going to be like, the week's going to end. I'm going to be like, oh, my, I already warned my girlfriend. I'm like, I don't know when it's going to happen. But this lockout's <laughs> going to, I mean, because like the other day I just kind of hung out. We watched shows and, you know, we binge watched Ozark and did the other things. But, um, you know, the, once this lockout ends, it's going to be an absolute, it's going to be nuts. It is. Yeah, I am looking forward to it, though, for sure. Uh, we're getting a little long on time, so we'll go yeah, here to end end the show here. I'll go around the board. Aaron, uh, who are a couple if – if people are playing in saves and holds leagues. Now, we already alluded to one with James Karinchek, but any other uh, – give us a couple names that really stand out in those formats as having added value. Yeah, real quick. If you're playing in saves and holds, you still want the top closers in this format. Saves are so much easier to predict um, than holds are, um, and so – you continue to keep your top guys, the top closers up at the top of your board. Um, some of the guys who uh, we, Greg mentioned a term that we use HLR, the high leverage relievers. These are the guys who are the next most predictable players on a, in a bullpen. So Paul Seawald, we mentioned him, Taylor Rogers, we mentioned him, Blake Trinan, we mentioned him. Uh, I'll throw Devin Williams out there, kind of a guy who, um, you know, got the pub for, for a little bit there um, and then had a bad month and everyone forgot about him so uh as another guy that you definitely want to target greg how about you yeah you want guys on winning teams so you, you, tyler rogers you want in the bullpen i i think hector naris will do well as a setup reliever this year aaron bummer kendall graveman you, you just want you know guys uh, trevor trevor may and seth lugo but more may for saves and holds so yeah that's good guys Good relievers on good teams will will rack those up for you, um, and and there was a bunch of Louis last year. So um, Tim Meza on the Blue Jays is another sleeper in that particular format. Um, th- those are the things that we want. So um, you know that keep to keep the flow charts going. But you know, and, and we didn't get to the past three hundred. But like, say you take Paul Sewell, then you can also take Andres Munoz late. You take uh, you know Taylor Rogers, you can take Jorge Alcala late. And then the the free agent guys that no one's talking about that are gonna two of these five guys are probably gonna get a closer job. Ian Kennedy, Alex Colome, uh, Richard Rodriguez, Ryan Tapera, and Brad Boxberger. That, that's the five pack of veterans that all have closer experience that are all drifting in ADP that are gonna that they're going to dumb luck into a closer job. Probably, like I said, forty percent of them will probably get a closer job. We still got at least six closer roles potentially open in baseball. And, and that's just going to toss things asunder once all this happens. I can't wait till we have you gentlemen back on in like 2029. And we're still talking about Ian, Ken- Ian Kennedy as a closer. Cause he's never um, going to go away from being a closer somewhere. Well, I, I took him at the end of <laughs> drafts last year and it, it paid, I mean, 26 saves is 26 saves. Yeah. Especially Everyone's like, like, Oh, Ian Kennedy sucks. Wait, he had how many saves last year? And no, that's that's his narrative every single year. It feels like like he's always <laughs> getting saves. Yeah, he might not have great ratios or great K rates, but for no, where dude, he goes, for where he goes in drafts, that's he's money. If if he ends up back in Texas, or or say he goes down to Miami, a ballpark that plays well to his fly ball propensity, hell, he could go to Oakland for next to nothing and take over right there if he really wants to close games. I mean, yeah. there, there's plenty of pathways for him to be successful. Do I want him back in a ballpark like Philadelphia? No. I need him in a pitcher's park. You don't want him in a, in a home run park. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, a few names I like re- really quick here. I, a lot of guys in that white Sox, Aaron bummer, Kendall Graveman, I think are two solid targets. Um, 
uh, Josh Stamont out in Kansas City. I like a good amount. Akala is another one I like in Minnesota. Um, all I like a lot of the guys in Seattle. I think it could be one of the best bullpens in oh, general. Oh, and whole format, they're gold. I mean, yeah, because they all get in there. So it, them yeah. and the Rays take a complete 180 and save plus holds. Absolutely. The Rays, you got Kittredge, who looks like he might be the closer. He's the trendy name right now. They also have Pete Fairbanks, JT Sargua, uh, JP, I always butcher the same, Fire Ryzen, I want to say. it. Um, Nick Anderson is going to come back at some point this year, too. So, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of names there. And I said, I like all the Seattle guys. They had three guys get double-digit saves last year in Steckenrider, Seawald, and Diego Castillo, who are all very good relievers. So uh, those Steals all- were with the Rays. Oh, yeah, because he was worth, that's, that's right, my bad. Um, but so they, they have three good guys out there. Ken Giles is there as well. We'll see how he uh, factors in. You mentioned Andres Munoz. So, yeah, a lot of good yeah. arms. By the end of the year, he could be the best arm in that bullpen. He could. I just he hope could. that kid can stay healthy. Yeah, he's he's definitely lights out uh, for sure. Uh, Chris, anybody uh, that we haven't mentioned that you like in this format? No, Greg actually turned me on to Art Warren. It, yeah, it Art fast. Warren. that's a, a fun name. And uh, Cody Hoyer and – in the also in Chicago in the Cubs, so, so we affectionately call him the Art of War. <laughs> Love <laughs> like it, that. Love it. Yeah, those are two guys that I like in this format. I think Hoyer could be a, a kind of dark horse, dark horse for saves there. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting. If he got more um, than Wick. I would not be surprised. Yeah, yeah. It depends on who they add to. You right. Know, I keep seeing Ryan Tapera getting bantied about. He he can end up closing somewhere. He's got very good skills. Uh, yeah, and he's another guy like Kennedy. He's like, oh, he sucks. Well, actually, when you put <laughs> I think I had in one of my posts when you put um, Tapera's underlying numbers with Jake McGee, they're very, very similar. Very yeah. similar. Yeah, and even in Atlanta, if Will Smith falters, I mean, Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik, but really solid last year, could be decent yeah, options and save hold. Hey, say his full name, Chris. Tyler Nutsack Matzik. <laughs> I don't have the voice for it right now, honestly. <laughs> Chris is struggling down the stretch yeah. here. Now. But hey, with your southern accent, eighty percent of your normal voice is still better than most people's voices, one hundred percent. So uh, that's why that applies to me. Yes. (laughs) All right, real quick as we end the show out here, Greg, Aaron, are there any? Well, I know it's kind of depends on setup and whatnot, but are there any bullpens that you're just completely staying away with just because of all the options? Or Aaron already tweeted this; he's got this for you. All right, Aaron, take it, take it from here. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dipping into Cincinnati. I'm going nowhere near Tampa. I'm probably staying away from the Cubs. These are three bullpens where uh, you're not going to have the right guy in your lineup the week. You're going to be chasing their saves. It's the wrong way to to utilize that position on your fantasy roster is spending the fab for last week's saves. So just reason one of 10 million to be a reliever recon uh, patron, but because uh, we're not going to allow you to chase the saves from last week, we're going to we're going to be you're going to have these guys in your lineup a week ahead of time. Um, but even oh. even those even those three bullpens uh, are going to be really hard for us to read, and we read. And Greg mentioned it. We read everything from every beat reporter and and every manager's quote. But in a weekly league, um, Cincinnati can turn on a dime. Uh, you know, Chicago, same thing. Tampa. Um, we don't even know who is the closer in San Diego once again. And um, Miami, Dylan Floro, not going to be the guy. Miami's going to go out and get involved in the uh, secondary save market. We mentioned that a million times on the, on our shows. So um, Miami, San Diego, we have no idea who the closers are going to be, if there's even going to be one individual. But Tampa, Cincinnati, and the Cubs, um, I'm not going to dip my toes in in a weekly lineup week. 
I'm glad you mentioned San Diego. I was I was gonna ask you real quick about San Diego. Yeah, right now it's like who knows? Like Pierce Johnson's gotten a little bit of pub, but who knows if that's a guy going into the year? From the looks of your faces, I don't think either one of you believe in Pierce Johnson, and you know, they go, might go out and get somebody because they're going to be a contender this year. So I don't think they want to go into the year with Pierce Johnson as their closer. They're trying to contend with the Giants and the Dodgers. So um, oh yeah, don't don't say San Diego beat writers and be in the same room with Zach Waxman. <laughs> <laughs> just, just putting that out there he, he gets very very ignited but um yeah again that's that's the bullpen i totally got wrong last year i whiffed on melanson that's my fault i own it um everything this year says that it's probably not on there if i had to take one dart the guy that i think could be a closer and that's again if his elbow holds together uh, i think Lamette, i think yeah. that could be if they if if they don't trade for somebody Everything, everything I'm looking at says that the their closer is probably not presently on the roster as is constructed. Um, so we're gonna have to wait and see. That's why I said Kimbrel could be a chance there, or one of those free agent guys' names I mentioned could also end up out there. We we don't know, and there's gonna be other trades that we can't predict. So right, yeah, the the the, the roster avalanche is gonna create quite a shift in the uh, closer landscape, but it's all good. I mean- Man, the most how important much- thing is don't chase the saves, though. You can't chase last week's yeah. saves. You have to. Yeah. You have to find bullpens where there's only where it's as clear as can be on Sunday who's going to be the closer that week. Yeah, that's, Brian. That's Brian's, the the yeah, Brian Slack. I think last year tracked all of the main event bids on closers, and the most the team with the most money spent on it last year was the Reds. Oh and, yeah, and these are the, and these are these are the so-called highest stake players in the world. And they spent the most money on Fab on the Reds, and they were always trying to get the guy who got the saves last week, and, and it never worked out. And then they're right back at the drawing board the next week, and it's it's tough, you know, when a bullpen tells you they're going to be unpredictable. Listen, yep, man, how much would Michael Semyon hate it, Chris, if Dennis Lamette turned into like a top flight closer? <laughs> Doug he would has love the stuff. It. I mean, yeah, all you yeah he does. Two pitches. I mean, if his we we want to see his velocity in the spring. If his velocity is ticking back up. And they say they're going to use him as a reliever. Then, 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 then I would be much more inclined to say I'm all in on him. But I want to see his velocity readings before I say, you know, he's the closer. And then obviously the roster construction. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's going to wrap us up, though. Greg, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on and bestowing your reliever wisdom on all of us here. Uh, thanks again. This was a lot of fun. Well, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us on. And uh, one last shot, parting shot. If you are not playing in a draft that hold, forget everything we've said on this podcast because uh, those ADPs shouldn't matter. You can go out and get saves all year long on your waiver wire and in fab. And as a patron, as a patron to relieve a recon, we'll, we'll set you up for that. Well, the the OCs are still pretty inflated, and that is a fab league, so we don't know um, <laughs> the main events. You know, now you're you're adding three more teams in every draft. I'm I'm not convinced those top tiers are going to add too much. All right, but yeah, definitely go out and sub to Reliever Recon Patreon. And again, uh, listening to the show, tweet out at Fantrax Toolship with your favorite reliever of all time, and we will pick four to give away a one-month membership to their Patreon, which is great stuff there. Um, but that is going to wrap us up this week. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow all of us on Twitter. Greg is at GJewett in the number nine. Aaron is at Fantasy Triage. Chris is at Rotoclag. I'm at Eric Cross 4 and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work and everything over on Fantrax HQ, our personal Patreon, and the Reliever Recon Patreon as well. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care.
you're craving Church's three-piece classic, there's no other option. Two crispy legs, a thigh, and a warm honey butter biscuit are the only way. And that's why we call it a classic. Church's Texas Chicken. Tap the banner to find your nearest location. Offer valid at participating locations.